Hello and welcome to Stay Paid, the sales and marketing podcast from Reminder Media on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business so you can live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. My name is Joshua Stike, and I am joined, as always, by Luke Acri. What is up, everybody? And our guest today is Willie Mandrell. Willie is the broker and principal owner of the Mandrell Company, a Boston-based real estate brokerage focusing on the micro niche. We had a conversation before the podcast if it's niche or niche. And I'm on the I'm on the voting side of niche. You're on I say, niche. I say niche. But I grew up in Virginia, so I don't know if that's a southern thing. But you think southern would be more niche. I have no, no I don't, I don't know. know. It sounds like southern to say niche. I don't I know. I go back and forth, though. The micro niche or niche of multifamily investment. Willie specializes in leveraging your niche market and building a business plan around that. Willie's expertise and passion in the local community has also led him to create a local networking group, Boston Wealth Builders, which has over mm. 1,700 members Whew. and continues to grow every day. Willie Mandrell, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's great to have you on. It's super impressive that you have built a networking group. I want to uh, pick your brain about that, 1,700 people. Anybody who's tried to do networking, I've done it in my life. It is really, really hard to be the one who has to facilitate a group like that and create what I call is like a community um, because you really got to create a community of people that come together with a common goal, common purpose. And we have, you know, obviously thousands of clients and we even struggle yeah. with, with thousands of clients that pay us to try to create community amongst our clients. So that's a real talent. But welcome to the podcast. Super appreciate you actually coming on. I love getting practitioners on our podcast, yeah. people who actually Day in and day out, they wake up and they actually live out the business they're talking about. So one of the downsides of Josh and I is we're marketers <laughs> and we're salespeople, but we don't wake up every day and we don't practice real estate or we don't practice insurance or those things. What we love is and we're passionate about is marketing and then the psychology of how humans respond to things and those type of ideas. But I love having practitioners because what you say I know our audience is going to get so much value because you've built a whole business doing this. So what you're going to share with people today, you know, it's stuff that you've implemented in your business, which is super impressive. But if you could just kind of introduce, I always ask all of our interviewers, you know, our interviewees, is it interviewees? It's niche. Niche. Okay. Yeah, niche. yeah it's yeah. niche. <laughs> but I asked him, hey, introduce yourself to our audience. You know, they don't know obviously who you are or kind of your story, why you got into real estate, how you have become kind of a broker owner. Could you walk them through, you know, your journey and lead us back up to today? And then let's talk about how you've grown your business from the niche side. Sure. Um, Getting started, my, my grandparents were in the real estate business. Um, my grandmother moved up uh, to Boston from Atlanta, Georgia, I think late, uh, late 40s, 1950s, early 50s. Um, for those of you familiar with Boston, we have uh, this thing called the Prudential Center here in Copley, and she was in, in the market before the Prudential Center went up. She bought a couple of, uh, of brownstone buildings. Uh, they were boarding houses at the time, uh, rented them out. Uh, continued to pay down the mortgage and then, you know, ended up uh, at the end of the day, I think it was 94. She sold everything, was multimillionaire. Awesome. Um, and it, it, it was it was really, I mean, the way she described it to me was really simple. I mean, she came up, she had a sixth grade education um, and, you know, she was essentially was just buying buildings and, and paying down the mortgage and, uh, and creating wealth for herself. And when I uh, came along, I was, you know, graduating from college, I wanted to buy a condo. Uh, and she told me not to. She told me to go buy a multifamily, go buy two, three units. Mm. Uh, and it was probably the best decision I ever made. Um, you know, I got a couple of rent checks from, from my tenant upstairs. 
uh, felt really good about it, noticed my mortgage was being paid down, my house was appreciating at the time. Uh, unfortunately, this was 2006, 2007, the market crashed. You have great, yeah, you have great timing, Willie, great timing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it couldn't have been, uh, I mean, I literally, I mean, I, you know, closed on this thing December 2006, I'm congratulating myself, I'm, you know, I'm 23 years old, I'm, you know, I'm a young man buying my first home, I'm doing some things most people uh, are not doing until later on in their life, and then, you know, you see a uh, stock market crash, and you know, uh, you know, the uh, investment bankers are going, you know, uh, belly up. And, um, it, but, but, I, but I don't regret it, though. I mean, it, it taught me a lot um, about market cycles. Uh, it taught me about, um, you know, what do you do in situations like that? That the, Everything that, you know, bad happens in your life, there's opportunities. I know it's the cliche thing that we always say, um, you know, problems create opportunities, but it's, it's real, especially in real estate. Um, I wouldn't be where I am today without that market crash. The market crashed in um, though I was, uh, was one of the lucky people who weren't, you know, didn't get foreclosed on and lose, lose my home. I was able to, uh, to buy some other things in 2009, 2010. Um, around that 2010, 2011, I also left my corporate job. I was in the, uh, corporate finance. I had my series seven, uh, investment uh, license and everything else. I was wow. doing, uh, compliance work and just didn't feel like I was, um, living life to the fullest. I wanted to be, you know, in the real estate business, wanted to immerse myself in it. So I got my real estate license, worked for a couple brokerages, um, picked up a, a lot of things that they were doing, things that they were, that I didn't necessarily like, things that they were doing well. Uh, and in 2013, started my own company, the Mandrell Company, uh, and kind of just grew it into what it is today. Um, and in terms of Boston Wealth Builders, when you, uh, as an entrepreneur, uh, when you're out there, you're trying to make things happen. It's a lonely life. You can, you know, you, I wasn't necessarily doing the things that the people, um, I grew up with wanted to do. Uh, so Boston Wealth Builder started as me going out and trying to find other people who were doing the things that I wanted to do, trying to build wealth through real estate, trying to, uh, to do things on their own. Um, so it really started off as just a lonely kid trying to go out and hop on meetup and trying to, trying to find some other people. Uh, and then it grew into what it is today. Um, it's, it's been a, it's been a tremendous group. I've made a lot of great connections, uh, and built a business around it. Dude, two, two golden nuggets that I want to point out that I feel that you just touched on is one is you touched on these problems create opportunities. I love that, man. That you should quote that. Somebody hashtag that, but problems create opportunities, I think is so <laughs> true. And it's a mindset. And I can tell just even hearing your story, the mindset you have when it comes to adversity. But the second thing, which I thought was even better that you were saying there is that you started this networking thing because obviously being an entrepreneur is lonely. Being, you know, trying to do great things is ultimately lonely. Um, when you're trying to do great things, you often are in problems, right? And so you're seeking these opportunities. You're often in problems, but you went and sought out like-minded people or you sought out people who wanted to achieve great yeah, things like you. And I think that is a really, really golden nugget, a point that should be driven home to everybody who's listening to this is that if you want to do great things, you know, that cliche saying of your network is your net worth, which I believe is true, but it's the same for not only your wallet, like your literal money and your materialistic, but it's the same for your mind, like your mindset and your growth opportunity exactly. from that. And you sought out people and now it's grown, you said to 1700 people. Yeah, close to, uh, not, not the numbers, right, man. It's close to 1,800, actually. Whoa. 
yeah, yeah. So that's that's incredible, man. So talk to us about your company. So you start this company, right? How have you gone about building your real estate brokerage? Like, how have you gone about, you know, what have been the struggles and challenges of trying to recruit agents? How are you competing, you know, against the other brokerages? I know we were talking about Keller Williams, Coal Banker, you know, and obviously you're competing with everybody. How have you gone about growing your brokerage and really generating business that makes you stand out and you're unique because you're not necessarily a national brand, right? So the, you, you don't have the right. maybe clout or the money, the pockets, the deep pockets that maybe some of these other brands have. How have you gone about building your financial brokerage or your real estate brokerage? Um, you know, I don't know where I, I, I try to do as much reading as possible, business reading, um, you know, books on real estate, books on marketing, books on sales, um, as much as I can. And somewhere along the line, I, I figured out that I, I needed to be able to differentiate myself. When I first got into the business as an agent, I was chasing business left, right, up and down. Um, I wasn't saying no to anything. And I don't think that new real estate agents necessarily should. The problem with that is I wasn't really defining myself. I was running north of the city, south of the city, 50 minutes from my house, right around the corner. Um, and I really wasn't becoming an expert in any one of these particular markets. So I figured out, um, well, that, and let me back up, I can also say that in real estate, there's just so many different things you can do. I mean, you, you have the commercial side, you have the residential side, you have rentals. Uh, rentals is a big thing here in Boston as well. And I didn't really enjoy the, uh, and again, I hope anybody, no one's offended by this, but the single family market niche. I didn't really want to serve the client looking for, you know, in the suburbs for the single family home where their concerns are more, um, does the back, does the backyard work for my dog? Does, right. you know, the lot size fit for us? Is the kitchen right for our family? Does it have the right bedroom count? Those are more emotional decisions, um, than they are logical and financial. Um, I ended up working with a couple of developers here in Boston, a couple, uh, investment, um, you know, people and their decisions were more along the lines of, uh, of my thinking. It was return on investment. It was cash flow. It was, uh, uh, you know, just the cap rates. It was different financial measures that, that made sense financially. And those, that, that's how they made decisions. And I kind of fell in love with that side of the business. Um, so you couple that with the fact that I know that I need to differentiate myself from Colwell Banker and Keller Williams. And how do I go and sit down with a client and say that I am the best agent for your, to, for, to sell your home or I am the best uh, agent to represent you in this transaction as a buyer. Um, I decided that's, you know, I was already in the business as a landlord. Um, I love that side of the business and representing investors. I decided I was going to build my company around that, that, okay. that niche or niche. Um, you know, so when we, when we formed the Mandrell company, we basically said it's going to be a multifamily investment property services. Uh, we're going to go in and we're going to target investors. Um, indirectly, we still work with, you know, condos and single family owners through friends and family and um, you know, if, if my cousin comes to me and says they want to sell their home, we're not going to turn down that business. Sure. Um, but in terms of our marketing and going out and finding people, um, you know, our lead generation, we focus on uh, those that want to become investors, uh, those that are already investors and want to continue to build their portfolio. Awesome. So how do you go about, so you're focused. I love that you, you figured out what makes you tick, which I always coach people on is that, Hey, what's your unique value proposition for yourself? Meaning like, what do you enjoy? So many people, especially in real estate, I call it the hamster wheel of real estate. They get themselves on a hamster wheel, like you said, and they're going from the South of the city to the North of the city. They're running all over. They're dealing, basically their business is running them. They're not running their business. And so it's that process like you went through of going, Hey, this is what I love. 
love to do. This is what makes me tick. This is what makes me unique. You found out that investing really gets you going. This whole idea of cash flow, return on investment, all that I, you know, stuff. How then do you go generate leads? So I have agents that I talk to all the time that are doing investments. I actually do investments myself in properties. How do you guys go find the leads? Because, the you know, how do you find the investors? How do you find the properties for them? Because one of the struggles for real estate agents right now is they can't find properties for their investors because there's so many people with the rise of HGTV. Everybody wants to be a flipper now. Everybody wants to be an investor. So walk us through a little bit of that dynamic. Sure. So, I mean, there are two, two answers to that question. In the beginning, um, we were doing a little bit of everything. I was... The Boston Wealth Builders has helped me find a lot of people or a lot of individuals that want to go out and buy that networking group. Uh, we've been we've done Facebook leads, we've done lead pages, um, we've done a little bit of everything to generate business. But I found that you know over the years, as you kind of you look at your metrics and you go back and you say, where have I been the most successful? Um, and that's when we do uh, when I do public speaking events or seminars or um, just putting out education as much as possible. So. Through Boston Wealth Builders, we'll hold multifamily 101 seminars, uh, you know, uh, Boston cash flow seminars, uh, 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 you know, talk on property management and just putting out education to the market um, and branding yourself as that expert within uh, within your particular market. So um, not only myself, but I encourage agents within our office to use Boston Wealth Builders, built Boston Wealth Builders as a platform for themselves uh, to go out and uh, and talk to the public as well. So. Um, we started off, you know, with a lot of different methods, but I think, you know, I'm a, a big believer of just, just pushing education out there. Um, we do a lot on YouTube. Um, we do a lot, again, through Boston Wealth Builders. And any opportunity we have to speak and put ourselves out there, we're, we're going to take it. Now, I love that. So on your seminars, like how do you two questions that pop into my mind? So I try to put myself in the, uh, you know, if I'm the person that wants to then go execute this tomorrow, like how do you attract the attendees? Like, do you struggle getting people to attend? Is it purely through that networking a group that you're part of the 1800 that fills the seats of the seminars? Like if someone wanted to do a seminar tomorrow, what are some of the things they should think of? you know, to, to make sure that they're not wasting their time or their money, obviously trying to put on a seminar, but no one shows up. Yeah, absolutely. So we put it, we try to go everywhere with it. I mean, okay. we're not going to rely on Boston Wealth Builders just for, uh, to fill up the room. We, we have a couple of things coming up at the end of this month. Um, we're going to go out and go event bright. We're going to reach out to other meetup, um, organizers as well and say, Hey, um, we have an event coming up. We'd love to, love to collaborate with your members and invite your members to the uh, to our, our, our uh, event as well. We're going to go to the event location and make sure that they're promoting, um, you know, our event as well, whether it be flyers or through their email list. Uh, we are, you know, using uh, Facebook advertising. We have a, you know, a very targeted market. If you understand who your likely client is, your likely buyer, uh, Facebook is a great platform for going on there and basically saying. The, the, on the buyer side, we're most likely going to work with uh, males and females between the ages of 25 and 40. Um, they most likely have an income of X. They most likely live live here. Facebook allows you to go out and target those individuals specifically um, and market your message to them. Um, you know, we think we'd be uh, crazy not to be on something like Instagram you know, right. these days. So we're putting, you know, we're putting our message everywhere. Um, one thing that I can I can share with you about. Um, RSVPs and everything is we understand that, uh, especially for a free seminar, we're looking at 
uh, 30 to 40% attendance okay. um, compared to RSVPs, if that makes sense, right? For, yep. for every 100 RSVPs we're getting, we're probably seeing 30 to 40 people show up, depending on the weather, depending on the time of the year. Uh, January is a great time to have seminars because everybody's doing their New Year's resolution thing. Everybody has, <laughs> I want to get out there, I want to get aggressive, this is my year, I want to buy a house. So you'll, you'll hop on Eventbrite, you'll hop on Meetup, and you'll see you know a long list of events, and we're going to compete in that you know as well. It's, a, it's an excellent time to recruit new agents because everybody's reevaluating what they want to do for the new year as well. Um, so, you know, 30, that 30, 40% margin, if you have, you know, 10 people sign up, ah, you're, you're probably going to be you and a couple of people sharing a drink, you know, at that event. So you right. really need to go for numbers, understanding if we have, uh, you know, a hotel room that seats 50, we're probably going to try to get 150 people to RSVP for that event before we're before we're satisfied. No, that's awesome. Man, so many good stuff there. Eventbrite, you talked about Meetup. You know, obviously you're going to and promoting it at the location, flyers, stuff like that. How much money do you think? You know, from a ballpark standpoint, if you're giving, you know, kind of the audience, like, how much are you guys spending ballpark? How much should they expect to spend on half on doing a seminar? And then, have you seen it? I'm assuming yes, but have you seen it pay off in ROI for you? Um, can you give us a feel for how much someone like a new agent would expect to spend trying this in their hometown? Yeah, sure. So it's it's hard to speak about return because here in, in Boston, um, and again, I'm not familiar with too many other markets in terms sure. of prices are, you know, we're, you know, like I said, it's pretty pricey here in Boston. So one transaction, um, typically the commission for one transaction is, um, you know, we're looking at, you know, 600, 700,000 is your typical gotcha. you, know, uh, you know home. So we're looking at 15, almost 20 grand from one side of a commission. Um, you know, we see probably a 2% commission here versus some other neighborhoods where you're looking at two and a half, three. Okay. Um, so what I would say is, you know, typically a typical event, we're probably spending a couple hundred, you know, uh, three to $500 in the actual event location itself, whether it be a local hotel room or, you know, uh, a restaurant with some other space. Um, we're probably spending another couple hundred to a few hundred dollars on appetizers. Um, we usually, you know, ask attendees to buy their own drinks. Um, and then, um, you know, maybe another three or four hundred dollars, maybe a little bit more, depending on the, you know, the, how much, you know, the, the size of the event, and what we're trying to attract on actual marketing. Hmm. So if, if we're um, probably spending about a thousand dollars per event, um, you know, one transaction, one connection, one purchase or one sale from that, that event pays for itself many times over. Do you find that um, on the in the investor market, you know, because a lot of our people are working with investors, do you find that one investor, like you have a smaller client base, or are you going after a volume of clients? Meaning like, do you have to nurture that one investor and really take care of them and spend a ton on the relationship because you know that person's going to buy 15 to 20, you know, homes versus going after, you know, let's say 500 investors or something like that? Um. I think on the investor side, it's 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 uh, it's a little different. I mean, you don't have to have the the uh, extensive volume that you would need on. You know, when we we talk to real estate agents and we coach our real estate agents, especially brand new into the business, we you know here in Boston, we're basically saying if you want to close ten deals, you're probably going to need you know fifteen contracts because some of those 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 contracts are going to die. Somebody's going to buy a car right. right before closing and mess up their credit, or um, <laughs> we're just not going to prove. 15 contracts, you probably need 45 prospects. 40 pro- prospects are somebody serious that you're sitting down with. Um, and then in order to get, you know, 45 prospects, you need 150 leads. So we kind of break it out like that. 150 leads will probably close you 10 deals at the end of the year. 
for investors, you probably don't need that many. You probably, if you're, if you're talking to your investors right about, you know, where are they getting their financing? Are they, are they serious about making a purchase? Um, and, and if you're asking the right questions, you'll really know quickly who's serious uh, about making, you know, something happen. So, um, are we going to look for 150 real estate investors? Probably not. The, the, the caveat to that or the, the, the flip side is, when I say investor, I don't necessarily always mean somebody who is going to buy 150 units. Right. Um, the investor here in Boston is also the owner occupant uh, who owns a three family, um, a triplex. And again, we're, depending on where you are in the country, probably right. people probably don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> here in Boston, there's not a lot of space we build up, we don't build out. So, um, you know, everything's a three family here. So you have a lot of situations where we'll go an FHA or a mass housing loan. We'll put somebody into that first floor unit and they're renting out the other two and covering the good majority of their uh, their mortgage. Um, those people don't necessarily always buy again and again, um, but they could have. And, and one of the benefits, the, the side benefit of working with the investor is they're eventually going to need you again um, when they're looking for tenants. They're always going to come back to that listing agent and say, OK, you sold me this building. I have a tenant now moving out. Can you list the apartment for me as well uh, and help me find a new tenant? No, that's um, so a great point. Yeah, a lot of added benefit to working to, to working with investors, uh, guys. I don't know if you noticed as he was talking how well he knew his numbers. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, that really stood out to me, man. As you were talking, you were talking about how many leads it takes and how many calls and all. You know, you know your numbers, and it's something that Josh and I—it's like a pet peeve of ours that we just <laughs> yell at people all the time. It's like they don't know their numbers, <laughs> then they wonder why they're not having success. It's like, well. It's like you're just trying anything and everything. You got to track your numbers. Just out of curiosity, do, you know, are there systems that you guys use to track your numbers? How long did it take you to figure out, you know, kind of the formula of success for you just for our agents that are listening? Because I know that's a big topic on the minds of agents is, you know, how do I know, like, how do I track my numbers? How do I know, you know, when I'm successful, when I'm not successful? What was your journey in that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm right there with you guys. I mean, you have to track your numbers. You have to know your numbers. I think most agents, when they get in, they don't treat it like a business. Um, they Amen. just they, they're yeah. under the impression that you can you can get into the, the real estate business and just work hard and things will just happen. Um, you know, McDonald's didn't get to where they are. Coca-Cola didn't get to where they are by just working hard and just you know <laughs> you have to treat it like a business and track your numbers, know where your leads are coming from uh, and everything else. So we encourage our agents to get a CRM is is number one. Um, I tell them, hey, if you're if you if your goal is to close 10 deals like we talked about, um, then you need to you know generate that 150 leads. And at the end of six months, if you're with us for six months and you have 10 people in your CRM, you're probably not going to hit those numbers. You're yeah. going to have to do something to you know pick up the pace there. So CRM is number one, um, getting out there and understanding you know that you have to fill up that database. Um, to get a little bit more complex, I look at uh, Google Analytics on a regular basis. I know how many people are hitting our website, where they're coming from, where the traffic is being generated from. Is it coming from our YouTube channel? If it is coming from our YouTube channel, what specific videos um, are hitting you know, or resonating with our with our client base? Um, and then how can I go out and recreate another video uh, similar to that to pull people in? Is it, is awesome. it are they coming from organic traffic um, just from you know uh, searching multifamily, um, you know Boston multifamily? Uh, representation or multi multifamily agent um, is Google pulling it into us. So um, knowing your numbers, I mean, it, it's key. I mean, you have to treat it like a business. You have to understand um, your metrics, where your leads are coming from, and 
you know, I'm trying to think of what else we use to to really track our numbers. I mean, I wish I can turn around. I have a, a big whiteboard in my office that I use to <laughs> just jot down just everything. I mean, if we if we do something or you know track, we're you know I'm a big um, you know believer. You know, I reference the the E Myth is a book that I, I read, read a, a while ago, uh, and it's all about building systems and, and tracking what you do and becoming a little bit more efficient, um, you know, within the business that you're in. Yeah, no, I call it like operational leverage. It was something that a broker owner out in Seattle, Washington, uh, really taught me the phrase, but it's the idea of you as a business owner need to do the things that only you can do, right? So you, you know, have certain jobs that only you can do. Your agents can't do it for you because you own the business. You have certain tasks that only you can do. And then you have the tasks that you're incredible at. And so it's what gets you going. It doesn't even feel like work. You're just gifted at it. It's the right seat on the bus for you. You need to focus on those. And then this idea of operational leverage is everything else try to delegate out to someone whose gifting is that, i.e., whether it's your marketing, your administration, your transaction coordination, whatever it is, you try to delegate out. And that's when you shift from being just a salesperson to a business owner to where you're, you know, you're able to work on your business, not in your business, that idea. So do you encourage like your new agents? You're obviously recruiting new agents, right? And, and I love how you're doing content marketing and content marketing really to me is you're putting out content that is a value you and relevant to your target audience that really doesn't sell your business necessarily. It doesn't sell something hardcore. It's really just a, almost like a gift to them. But because it's content, they're coming to it. You have their attention. It's almost like a funnel. They're at the top of your funnel and you start nurturing them and you start becoming the authority on that subject matter. So you're the authority on, you know, uh, rentals or investment properties within Boston. You're the authority in your community on it. Do you teach your agents how to do that? Would you encourage a new agent to do that for their business? Or is it something that a brokerage should do at the brokerage level? You know, what's your thoughts on that? No, absolutely. I mean, I think if you're in this business, you shouldn't rely on your broker or the brokerage to uh, to handle your, your brand. I think at some point, especially if you want to branch out and, you know, I, I'm the type of person or would, would say broker that I'm, I'm never going to try to hold anybody down. I, I you know, I'm not going to call any names out, but there's a couple brokerages that, you know, we're familiar with that they try to tamper down the uh, ambitions of their, their agents. No, I'm, mm. you've been here for three years in Massachusetts. You're, you know, you're allowed to go get your broker's license after three, three years of experience. I'll sign off on it all day long. Let's, let's go do it. I mean, I want to encourage people to, uh, to go out and spread their wings. I, I really, you know, I'm a big believer. I, I wouldn't want any, to do that to anybody else because I wouldn't want another broker to do that to me. Mm. Um, so to answer your question, absolutely. Go out and build your brand. Um, there are a lot of things that you know as an agent that I don't necessarily know. Uh, so to, to rely on me to produce all our content marketing would just be a, a flawed strategy. Go out there, um, tell the public what you know, tell the, the public what you're good at, and uh, and just put it out there. I mean, I think it's indirectly helping the Mandrel company or our brand anyhow. Um, the more faces you have out there producing com- uh, content, it's going to help. And the way I say something doesn't necessarily relate or uh, resonate with an individual. You can say the exact same thing, Josh, and by switching a couple of words around or just the tone of your voice or the way you said it or the speed of which in which you said it can resonate, you know, completely, uh, completely differently. So, no, I would say 
uh, absolutely as an agent, go out there and produce your own content. Dude, that's another golden nugget right there. It's another great thing. To say. <laughs> I mean, it's you attract your tribe. Your vibe yeah. is your tribe. It's you very know, powerful, right? Yeah. It's super powerful. That and and I think it helps you overcome your fear. One of the hardest things with content, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is that it's really hard to know where to start, and you you feel like people are judging, like you're creating the content for other people, and so you are thinking about what they're going to think about it. And that fear of, oh, what if they don't like this? What if I'm not doing it right? Especially video content. If you're doing video content, being on video. What if I say the wrong thing and someone challenges me? So how does, like, where should an agent start? How do they overcome that? What, you know, should they, if they're fearful of video, should they, you know, stay away from it for a while and just do writing? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Um... You can't be all things to all people. I mean, you're not going to make everyone happy. I mean, I think, you know, I went to, uh, for those who are familiar with Grant Cardone, I went to, uh, he was in Boston not too, not too long ago, I went to one of his uh, events, and, um, you know, he, he basically said, <laughs> and again, not everybody will agree with this, but he basically said, you know, I don't care if you like me as, as long as you know me. And yeah, ten X, baby, ten X, and that's what it comes down to. Right? And it, it resonated with me. And it, you know, like I said, if, if I'm going to stay in the shadows, um, then no one's going to be able to. There are going to be people out there that absolutely love what I have to say and um, and, and, and the things that I inspire them. And there are going to be people that don't that don't necessarily like the sound of my voice or, mm. or whatever you know, or you know the uh, the Boston accent if I have one. <laughs> you know, um, but whatever it may be. Um, I just continue to put myself out there, uh, you know, the 10x rule, and then uh, I recently read a book called The Road to Recognition, hmm. uh, and they, they mentioned the same thing about um, not being afraid to just put yourself out there, just just going for it. They're going to be, uh, it's a social world that we live in, and there's no way that you can, you know, stay in the shadows and make money. I mean, it just doesn't, yep. it just doesn't happen. What's the number one mistake you see agents making? Whether it's your agents or it's agents you're recruiting, what's what's the number one mistake you see them making out there right now? Um, we 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 talked a little bit about it. Just the assumption that you can hard work is great. Hard work is terrific. I don't think that you can become successful out of hard work, but I think the lack of a plan, the lack of some type of business structure in in place. I think people just come down and they say, you know, I got my real estate license. I'm just going to hop into the business and work hard. There's got to be, a, there, there has to be a goal in mind. There is, I mean, I can show you my business plan and basically I know exactly where I want to be in five years. I know that if I, in order for me to get there in five years, there are certain things that I'm going to need to do in year four, three, two, and in, in, in this year. And I know that if there are certain things that I need to do this year, there are certain things that I need to do in, you know, December and, and, and November and all the way down to where we are today. Uh, and that's how I figure out what my, my list, my to-do list is today. There are a lot of agents and a lot of business owners that just kind of wake up and just work. And, oh, and yeah. <laughs> though they're producing hard work, it's great, but there's just no focus on that long-term, that long-term goal. Um, so I think that's it's the same thing in, in real estate. It's your most real estate agents look at themselves as an agent and not a business owner, an independent yeah. contractor, someone who is, um, you know, Willie Inc. Uh, Willie LLC, they think that they work as an employee. They're so work used to the employee life that they think that they somehow work for the brokerage. Um, they don't understand that they're affiliated with the brokerage, but they're their own company, and they have to treat themselves that way. Figure out where they want to be in five years. Is it owning in their own brokerage? Is it, I want to I want to close 100 transactions. And in order for you to get to whatever those goals are, break it down 
um, into smaller goals, and you, you'll figure out exactly what you need to do today to get to where you want to be, you know, later on. So to answer your question, it's just the the, the lack of long-term focus. We're we're in a you know so much in the society we um, there's just a, just immediate gratification thing where we don't think that uh, if it doesn't pay off tomorrow or next week, then it's of no interest to us. Mm-hmm. We have to think long term and figure out where we want to be. Um, and if they do that, I think more agents will be successful in their business. Yeah, man, I think that's spot on. I think even content marketing inherently in its nature is a long-term play. So when you do content marketing, because you can't, content marketing done well can't be done as a sales pitch. It has to be done as as a value add. And that long-term is getting people to really, you know, it's that brand recognition or mind share, you would call it, where you're just trying to position yourself as an authority. As you look back over your year and maybe last couple of years, what's the number one place deals are coming from? Like, what's your best lead generator? Because we get that question all the time, you know, from our audiences. Hey, where are, you know, obviously they have their goal. They want to do 100 transactions. Next step is where are those 100 transactions going to come from? What's your number one lead generator for you? Is it the phones? Is it content marketing? Is it networking? What's your number one lead generator? Um, I know a lot of agents probably don't want to hear this, but it's it's networking. It's just getting out and meeting people. I, I think, you know, you know, we just talked about, you know, the world becoming a little bit more social, but the idea that you can just sit back and post things on Instagram and build a massive business, I think is flawed. And that's just me. There might be, you know, some, some people out there that are absolutely killing on Instagram and I don't want to knock that as a strategy. But in my opinion, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube's are supplements. Um, they're supplements. They're things that you do into it in addition to, but I don't think that there are too many things that you can, um, do that are going to, um, overtake the face-to-face conversation that you have, just sharing a beer with somebody, getting in there and telling them, you know, what you do. Um, they're able to see your passion, understand, um, you know, when you can see someone's face, you can hear it in their voice, you can understand what they're trying to do. I think it's a lot more powerful than uh, any image that you can put or any quote or any inspirational quote that you can put on Facebook. Um, so getting out there and just meeting as many people as you can, I mean, you never know where leads are going to come from. And when, when I say networking, if I can just clarify, I don't, I don't necessarily, and we talk to our agents about this as well, that doesn't necessarily, real estate agents think that they need to go to business networking events or real estate networking events where there's a whole bunch of other real estate agents in the room. That's not what I mean. I mean, find something that you enjoy doing. It's swimming, it's tennis, it's golf, um, and go out there and join a meetup or an event night that, yeah. or, and just go out there and meet people who are not necessarily in your line of work. They're doctors, they're lawyers, they're, they're nurses, they're, they're, they're caretakers. And they enjoy, you have a, a commonality now, right? You're, you're biking and you just enjoy the, you know, a 10 mile bike ride or whatever. But I don't really bike, so I don't really know if that's a good distance <laughs> or not. <laughs> but you're, you're sweating and, you're, and, you, and then the conversation of what you do for work always comes up. It says, you, you know, well, you're a doctor. Well, I'm a real estate agent. If you ever need anything, you know, and then you don't have to have that awkward conversation of here's my business card and sticking it down their throat. Um, that conversation comes naturally. You have something to talk about now outside of what you do um, and they're more likely to enjoy they you enjoy tennis they enjoy tennis they're more likely to do business with you on the opposite side so that's what I say mean when I say networking is getting out there whether it be a cooking class or you know uh, or snowmobiling or whatever it is you love to do go out there and just meet as many people as you can dump them back into your CRM and I can almost promise you that your business so 
uh, explode. Dude, that's so gold. It ties back to what we were saying in the beginning. I mean, your network is really your net worth. It, it truly is. It's all who you know. I literally had um, my executive assistant come in today. Her car was uh, messed up, and she went to the dealership, and you know the you know the mechanic there at the dealership, and she shared with me the story of that she, they didn't give her a loaner car. They said you know it's going to be this, that, and the other. She went across the street. She knew the owner of the dealerships because her mom worked there and she went across the street and just started talking to him just catching up and he's like oh why are you in what's going on she told him the story he goes oh my goodness come with me he takes her over gets her a loaner car calls the mechanic dealership and says I want the best person on this car it literally just knowing that person changed the whole environment everything and she didn't I mean it's not her professional career it's just literally in life she had met this person become friends with this person so it's so powerful to get out there and network. I could not agree more with you. And I also believe, you know, the National Association of Realtors says that 60 plus percent of your deals will come from your sphere in the really the category of referrals and repeat business. And that is all who you know, how you're keeping in touch with people, the relationships. So I want to ask you, you know, obviously all of our audience is looking to grow their business, looking to become more successful in life. And we're all looking for that magic bullet, you would say, the secret, you know, Mm -hmm. formula to success, although we know one doesn't exist. And I like to ask every guest that comes on, you know, as you look about your career and your success in your life that you've experienced, is there anything that you do consistently, like a routine or something that you've really found a ton of success in that you look back and go, yes, I do this every single day or I do this weekly, monthly, whatever it is, a routine that in your life has driven success for you? Uh, <laughs> you might think I'm crazy when I say this, but I... um you know, you know, everyone has their, uh, what do you call it? Their vices, right? Some of the smoke, drink and yep. things that we know we should, I am religiously on MLS. I, I mean, I'm addicted <laughs> to it. I mean, I wake oh, up. <laughs> I, mean, oh, man. I mean, that's just, so I mean, that's but, awesome. But me though, because I mean, there are people that come to me and they say, Hey, did you see that, that, that triple deck or that three family just at the market? Yeah, I know the one on my, my eyes that has the fire damage. It's going for 500. Yeah, I know. I saw it, I saw it this morning. I saw it last night. So, I mean, Can you guys tell I he mean, loves I, investing? No, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, my wife will get up, uh, cause the, the light from my iPhone is like, you know, at two o'clock in the yep. morning is like, you know, shining in her eyes while I was rolling through the new listings that have come on. I hate the beginning of the year because, uh, and again, this, is, this makes me sound like screwed, but I hate the, the holiday season because not no, not that many listings are coming on. There's not much for Can't me to get do. Your fix. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good, man. That's so good. On. So, no, I, but, it, but it's helped me grow my business because when I talk to a buyer, um, I can say with confidence, the property is worth X because I look at every single listing that comes mm. on the market. I've been inside these things. I go to every single open house. Um, I'm That's talking powerful. to real estate agents, whether they work for our company or not. I they they know who I am and I know who they are, and we're having those conversations and we have great relationships. And I see the properties that they that they list. Um, so it's just going out there and just really understanding your market and just understanding your niche. I look at um, you know every single multifamily within the Boston neighborhood that comes on the market. I, I lay eyes on it and I say, what do I think it's worth? Is it is it true? I, I play this game with myself where, and this may sound really crazy, but you know, sometimes I'll check back 60 days later and say, well, I told you it wasn't going to sell for that. I, I'm really just talking to myself because nobody is there to answer me. Um, 
but you know, so it's really just you know, um, you know, paying attention to the market and 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 what's going on, whether it be your in-house listings or somebody else's. Um, just becoming that that expert within your neighborhood, and you're only going to be able to do that is if you uh, if you continue to look at those listings that come up and really just study the market. Man, that that is so powerful. It's amazing because a lot of you cannot fake experience. Like, I mean, you might be able expertise. to fake it for a little bit, but the right. experience, the expertise, yeah. because when you get authority on a subject matter, i.e., you know that market and every listing, you know everything about it, you have confidence. And in that, yeah, that confidence comes from your preparation, right? You know, so you think of like Tom Brady, because are you a Patriots fan being, you know, where you're at? You're Patri- uh, oh. I think I have to say that yeah, you Boston, have, right? Yeah, you, you have to say it. I'm not a, I'm not a Patriots fan. I'm a Tom Brady yes. fan. Can't help but like that guy. But, but he's confident because of his preparation. It's not fake, right. fake confidence, right? It's his preparation and his experience. And that is just so powerful. I mean, you think about that, guys. You look at the MLS every single day. In the course of 90 days, how much better are you going to be in your knowledge and your confidence and delivery at the next listing presentation or the next time cool. someone asks you what goes on with the market? It's just going to naturally pour out of you. you. You can't help but talk about it. And I'll make this point that when I interview people, I can tell when someone loves what they do and when they actually just know everything about it, they can't help themselves. Because when you start asking them about their expertise, it doesn't matter if it's coding, it doesn't matter if it's sales, it's finance, they just can't help, but it just pours out of them and oozes out of them. They start talking about it, they, they smile. So that is such a powerful routine that really, I think I, people, every I, real estate agent should <laughs> add to their business. I tell all my my friends and family and everything else. I mean, I, I anybody I talk to. I mean, there there are certain people that you know. You know, you can ask me a uh, you know a generic real estate question, um, and you know, like I said, I'll try to answer it. But as soon as we start talking about cash flow or return on investment, I was like, hey, you you open the door. Um, so you <laughs> did this because we're gonna sit down. You're gonna sit down. Take a seat because we're gonna be here for twenty minutes. So, they I mean, really. Guys, you know what I love about the question, guys? I'm telling you, man, it is amazing. I love. I love your energy. I love how you talk about this cash flow and return on investment. You know why? Because I'm an investor myself, right? So I have properties myself. And I'm sitting here on this podcast going, man, I want to talk to Willie about some of the deals I have going on. Like that's what happens, guys, when you find your niche and you really just hone in on that. It You just, you can't help but influence people around it because I know this is a guy that understands what he's doing and I want to be close to that. I want to be close to that. I want to understand what he understands. I want him to advise me for lack of a better word. <laughs> All right. So we're going to wrap this up with the last question. I love this question um, because I think it's always important in our lives to reflect because, you know, those who don't look at history are doomed to repeat it. So <laughs> I think this is good. Looking back on your life, right? What would you go back and tell younger Willie? What would you tell yourself, you know, you know, what would you tell yourself to invest way more into? What would you tell yourself to run away from? What advice would you give to your younger self knowing what you know now? Um, stay, I guess, the, I don't know, how do I articulate this? To stay even, I guess. I, I, there are too many people that, in my opinion, or I wouldn't say too many people, the younger Willie used to close a deal um, and be on a high. Um, and lose a listing and get really low and down. Um, and, you know, it was just this roller coaster ride. It looked like, you know, the Dow Jones in the last, you know, few months. It was just all <laughs> over the place. Um, 
So I would tell myself just to just to stay even and, and continue to stay focused on the long term and continue to work. I mean, I, I think I'm there now where, you know, you have, you know, a customer complain about something and you don't really want to you want to resolve it, but you don't want to get too low on yourself or too down on yourself. You you have a big listing appointment and it seems like things are going well. Don't get too high. Don't get distracted and thinking that you, you've made it now. And um, you really want to stay as even as possible and continue to. Um, you know, look towards the future and work towards the future. It's to get off the being an entrepreneur, being a real estate agent. Um, there are just so many ups and downs. There's just so many mm. from day to day, from hour to hour. I mean, you know, if I if I if I reacted like that now, I mean, I would drive myself crazy. I get a call and you know, we we just picked up you know three new three new listings from from one developer who wants to he wants to sell out, uh, and then we get another call and um, you know. Um, you know, we just lost a, you know, a deal or buyer deal fell through. I mean, you just can't be all over the place. Uh, and, and that was the younger Willie, the just kind of emotionally, um, you know, just all over the place. Once you, I, I, I have a family now. And one of the things that I try to do is I try to go home and not let my day affect the way I treat, you know, my daughter or my wife mm. and go home and when we have, you know, bad days or it's ended badly or a project isn't completed on time, I don't want to go home and impress that bad day off on somebody else. So I try to stay as even as possible. Um, we have, you know, it wasn't the case several years ago, but I do have employees now. Uh, and the way I come in, the way I come in the office, um, the way I leave the office obviously affects their attitudes as well. Um, coming in and, 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 you know, on a, you know, a trip from what happened the day before is just not necessarily a good thing. It's not a, not a good way to run your business. So try to stay, try to stay as even as possible and not, um, you know, why the peaks and valleys of, uh, of being an entrepreneur or be a, being a real estate agent, if that makes sense. No, that's an am- amazing piece of advice because it's what we hear all the time is that, you know, the up and downs, the roller coaster rides. I've always learned it's never as bad as you think it is. I have had some pretty terrible stuff that I can't even mention on this podcast because of confidential stuff. But I've had some. <laughs> ter- 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 I almost started to go into some of yeah. it there. Yeah, it's like as back. an entrepreneur, I mean, you just, I mean, you just can't even imagine. And when those papers come across your desk, or you get that phone call, or whatever it is, I mean, it really feels rough. I mean, you're yeah, just kind of like, this is the end. It's over. <laughs> it's over. Or when you make a mistake with the product, you go, it's over. <laughs> but it's never as bad as you think it is. It really is like you can really get through almost anything if you just keep trucking. I know that's so simplistic, but such good advice. Keep man. on trucking. Yeah, keep on trucking. Hashtag that. We should make a bumper sticker. Oh, wait. There probably is. Well, thank you so much for being here, Willie. I think that was that was an amazing interview. A lot to take away there, yeah. just from the passion and 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 the, the the joy that you can see that you get from um, from your business. It's clear to see why you have um, a lot of speaking engagements too. So, before we close, why don't you let the people know where they can find you and connect with you and your company, your team? Sure. Um, our direct brokerage website is mandrelco.com. It's M A N D R E L L C O. Dot com, and then you can also find us on, on Boston Wealth Builders, which is Boston Wealth Builders, uh, spelled out, dot com. Uh, you can join our, our meetup. It's free to join, um, anybody in the Boston area or, you know, uh, local cities and towns. Um, we'd love to have you in the group. Um, you know, like I said, it's growing rapidly. It's been a great networking platform. Uh, if there's any way that we can serve your real estate needs, um, sales, rentals, management, we'd love to help you out there as well. Awesome. That is awesome, Willie. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today here on Stay Paid, please go on iTunes, 
Give us a five-star rating and make sure to leave a comment. You can also find our podcast, including this one, in video on youtube.com slash remindermedia or staypaidpodcast.com. Make sure to tell someone else about the podcast today. It really helps us spread the word. And if you'd like to get hold of me or Luke, please email us at podcast at remindermedia.com or find us on Instagram or LinkedIn. And of course, you can check out Reminder Media on social media. We are at Reminder Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. And I'm Luke Aker. Guys, I'm going to close with this action item. I actually have two for you because there's two that really stood out to me that I think are really, really valuable. I have, man. I can't help it. When I do interviews and I get golden nuggets all the time, I (laughs) I have to give a couple action items. This is something you can literally implement today or, you know, you can start figuring out how to do it. One is, what is your niche? Meaning, when you look at your business, what do you specialize in? And that really should flow from a place of joy. It should flow from a place of what do you love when you look back on the transactions you've done. Now, we all in our business have to go through up and downs. That's what being an entrepreneur and a business owner is all about. But what is your niche? What do you want to focus on and really become the authority of in your community to really just hone in your skill set there. The second one is even more practical than this one. The second one is what networking groups are you part of? And remember what Willie said, it's not just business networking, meaning, yes, that's good. Get part of networking events with businesses and stuff like that. I think it's always great to do that. But what groups are you a part of? Where are you going and meeting people? And if you're going to be in the real estate insurance, financial advisor business, you have to be meeting people, have to be building your database, have to be building relationships. Your business will live and die on relationships. So if you don't have a group, a meetup, I I know he talks about meetup.com. You can literally go on there, find something you're interested in, go attend it. Put that into action in your business this week. Remember, the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer in any business is top producers take action. So take action on that. Go find a networking group. Figure out what you love, what your niche is going to be, and kill it and become a top producer in your community. 